Hi, I'm Tina Spangler with TLC Barrels and welcome to my podcast. Today is January 16th of 2024. This is Q&A podcast number 179 made for my Facebook online coaching group. And I'm happy to say that the last couple weeks, at least 54 of the members, uh, we have about 100 in the group right now active and about 54 of you are listening to the podcast. So that's awesome. Uh, I have a few other number statistics I want to share that I'm excited about. We already have 15 personal bests for January, which is awesome. Um, So a personal best can be anything from moving up a division, beating your own personal best time at a certain arena, mastering something you've been working on, maybe getting your Colts to pick up their leads or exhibitioning or entering for the first time, or possibly fixing a first barrel or something like that a clean run whatever you're proud of is a personal best so always let me know and i'll enter you in the drawing we also have uh five people i think five or six have already done the short video that you post in the group if you can't get it to post send it to me and i'll post it of what you were proud of for 2023 or thankful for and what you're thankful or excited about for 2024 Uh, So it's just a way to get to know the members more and see your shiny faces. You can have your horse standing next to you or be on them or just you, whatever you want to do. Also, we've had six people or seven now take part in the training video challenge, which this month it is big circles, small circles with loose rein, woe and rollbacks. Um, And uh, that's awesome. I'm glad we're getting more activity because I love seeing how you train at home not just at the barrel races. So one of the stories I'd like to share for this week um, is I'm really proud of Laura and Powell, and I wanna point them out as a, as a, a good example for everybody going into 2024. Um, Laura struggled a little bit last year. She would go you know, from 2D cracks to winning 3D and things like that because she was kinda you know, trying to fix a few skills in like riding centered, looking at her spots or arc or spots one, two, three, and also with her hands, instead of pulling down, doing a quicker bender elbow and just bump release her horse instead of a, a, a locking her arm down, she'd call it hammer hands. So she worked on her skill, but all of a sudden she is on fire. New Year's Day this past week, winning 1D money in the open with lots of entries, amazing runs. And I asked her what has changed for her. And she said, number one, she's trusting her horse, you know, and she's also just, she feels like she's worked on her skill enough now that she's just trusting it and going for it. And I think that's the key to this. And remember that for everybody, you just have to prepare during the week and then just trust it on the weekend and have confidence in you and your horse as a team. And as you keep going, it's just gonna get better and better. The more you go, the more your timing and feel with speed becomes automatic, just like in your slow work. So in order to improve, you do need to go, right? If you only go once a month, it's gonna be hard to get good. If you go once a week, that's great, but you also have to go at a pace that your horse can handle as well. So sometimes it's good to have, you know, be able to alternate horses if you need to as well, and just keep them sound. If you're going a lot, remember to give them that extra TLC that they're going to need with vets and chiropractors and extra things like that. So, but I just wanted to share that story. Um, Some of you shared that you're struggling with setting your goals for this year. Some of you, it's a piece of cake. You want to 
qualify for circuit rodeos um, in your area of pro rodeos. Some of you, you want to uh, win 1D uh, year-end awards in your MBHA or your associations. Some of you plan to hit more super shows and want to be solid in the 2D or the 3D and win money there. Some of you are having your best runs and falling in the cracks of the 1D or the 2D and it's frustrating. We've all been there. I will share a story. When I lived in Colorado and it was in the 90s, only 50 horses would show up for our district shows and only 250 for our state show. So I want to check pretty much every weekend. You know, it's pretty, my friends would call me lucky, but I just hit just right all the time. And, you know, luck has a lot to do with it when you're not, if you're not the winning fastest 1D time. And you can have, like I said, the best run of your life and still end up in the 1D cracks and be frustrated. Um, But anyways, when I came to Florida, though, I was shocked. There was at least 100 to 150 at every show. And this is just 2000, 2001. 150 minimum was pretty much what you saw anywhere. Like I'd say 125 to 150 was average at a district show. And then the state show had like 800. All of a sudden becoming a crack baby in Florida was a whole lot more uh, average for me than winning a check every week like in Colorado. So just pure numbers. So I've noticed as barrel racing grows, so do the entries. It's not uncommon to see 200, 200 barrel racers at a, a, you know, at a benefit barrel race or at a super show, 300, 400. So, you know, it is harder to win money at that, unless you're lucky and the 2D, 3D, 4D just hit just right, or you have the best time being in the 1D. So, but even the 1D riders aren't on the top all the time. Horses have, you know, their moments of peaking and then where they kind of slow up a little bit and then they peak again as well, or or maybe just a timing issue for a rider and a horse. Things happen or hit a barrel, things happen. So so what I want to share with you on that though is um to, to take away from what Laura said, just trusting her horse and just being in the moment out there. She's not overthinking, she's just doing her thing out there. Being in the moment, trusting her horse. So If I could share that as your positivity for the week, that would be awesome. So I would love everybody to do that. And for those of you that don't know what to do for your goals, what I would do is pray on it and follow your heart. You don't have to chase points. I will tell you as a horse trainer and a competitor, I felt like my entire life was a competition. I was constantly having to kick you know, market my business to keep my barn full, you know, and, and, uh, lessons and clinics always doing that. And then on the weekend, I was trying to always have a nice run. So my horses were my business card, you know, people to see how I ride and how my horses run. And, and it just felt like my whole life was a competition. So once I stopped competing after, I think 2019 was my last year of chasing, um, awards you know that last year I qualified for world and things like that in 2020 I think I went to one barrel race I haven't barrel raced since 2020 so my focus has been you know getting my business set up to be 100% coaching as you guys know and not training anymore so that's where my goals have been I don't miss competition anymore just because I got tired of chasing points every weekend or chasing titles or this or that so For some of you, you might feel that way and that's okay. It's okay to just go when you wanna go and just work on your personal best. So maybe your personal best is just to do a little bit better than last month and that's okay too. So everybody's goals don't have to be to the NFR. Everybody's goals don't have to be, you know, get to every single, uh, 
you know, PacWest show, an MBHA show, or whatever. You can just go when you feel like it, too. It, it, you just want it to, it should bring you joy. If it's not fun, you're not going to want to do it, and you're not going to do well at it if it's not fun. So what I'm trying to say is whatever your goal is, keep it fun and follow your heart and just, you know, your goal should not bring you anxiety um, unless you're just one of those people who just feel really like if you pressure yourself, you'll do better. But I personally think most barrel racers are perfectionist, controlling type personalities, type A personalities. They want to always be hard on themselves to do better, do better. So as your coach, I don't want to lay that on you as well. As your coach, I want to tell you to, hey, find some joy, find some fun, and just set, you know, some goals that are are things that will bring you joy and not anxiety. So enough of that. Um, the topic for today is going to be part four, biomechanics of a balanced horse. The last two weeks, we've talked about rider cues. This week, we're going to talk about a balanced horse. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. So I'm going to get right into questions so we can get to the topic. Um, before I do that, I do want to have a reminder. Um, if you send me videos, please, just so it goes faster for me on Mondays and Tuesdays, because I usually have about 40 videos to review. Um, let me know the name of the arena, the horse you're on if you ride multiple horses, the winning time, your time, and any concerns you had inside or outside the arena. It helps me address everything. If you did anything unusual or changed anything, tell me that too. So for instance, uh, you changed your bit or your saddle or went to the left instead of the right. If anything's changed, just kind of give me a heads up so I can help you decide if it's working for you. Even a diet change or supplement change, um, if your farrier changes your shoes, anything that changes, you want a journal in your notebook and um, your performance tracker. Everybody should have a barrel racing log now that it's a new year. And like I said, you can get mine on Amazon for 10 bucks. Um, but you can do it in your own three ring binder, however you like to do it. Uh, anyways, so just help me out there when you send me the video. Give me a little bit of detail so I know what I'm looking at. If you send me um, two or three videos of a three day weekend, if you want two done side by side, please tell me that. And also, if you send me two or three angles and want me to pick from them, just tell me that as well. So just kind of, it's hard if I get, you know, 40 videos to have to figure it all out on my own. It, it goes smoother and quicker for me if you give me a little bit of information. So that's all I ask in return from you guys. And uh, let's see here. I have about 30 videos on my list and I've already down to maybe, I think I have like 10 more to do. So I'm getting caught up there. I started on Sunday. This coming weekend I have a clinic, so I will be behind. Um, I won't be getting to videos till Monday, so it'll probably take me to Wednesday or Thursday to get caught up, uh, where I should be caught up with this by by Wednesday, but by the end of today, hopefully. It's raining outside, can't do much else. Um, let's see here. What else did I want to mention? I think that's it. So let me get into the questions. Um, someone asked how to warm up a nervous horse. Is it okay to warm them up away from the crowd? Is it okay to just walk and jog and no loping? Um, absolutely, absolutely. Briscoe was so much that horse. She did not like to be with all the other horses. Matter of fact, it would freak her out to have horses coming straight at her. So if you um, if you can park your rig further away from everything, if you can find a quiet place to walk and jog, all the better. When I was um, doing pro rodeo, I had a friend who. 
She could only walk and jog her horse, mostly walk. So she'd get on her horse about an hour before the rodeo and just walking for a half hour or so. If she found a quiet place, she might jog some straight lines or circles. She'd work on stopping and rollbacking, things like that, but no loping at all. The more quiet she kept them, but if you, as long as you walk them a long time and keep their muscles warm or jog them and their muscles are warm and maybe get off and stretch them before your run, leg stretches and stuff, neck stretches, I think you're more than fine to go out there and compete without worrying about hurting anything. You ideally don't want to run a cold horse, just like you, if you take off running, your ankle rolls, it hurts because you're not warmed up. Anytime you were in physical ed, PE in high school or junior high, you always had to do a little bit of warm up before you did your main exercise. It's good for horses just like it is for people. So, so definitely don't want to um, do it without a warm up, but absolutely it's 100% okay. And, and then you could do your um, stuff away from the arena like stopping, backing, flexing, just walking, maybe some jogging. Do it all where they're quiet and then just go up to the arena about two drags out, whatever works best for you. Sometimes it's not good to go up to the last second because then the horse will be on the muscle too much. Some horses do better coming up last second. Some horses do better settling by the arena for two drags. Um, you know, you got to know your horse and write things down. What's working, what's not working. Write your key mental notes. These things are so important. Um, so I hope that answers that question for you. And then when you do sit by the arena, just sitting quietly is great. If they won't do that, you can face flex them left and right or walk small circles, whatever you find keeps them the calmest. You certainly don't want to go in the arena on a horse that's checked out because the more they check out, the harder it is for them to focus on the first barrel. And first barrel is a money barrel. It sets you up for the rest of your run. So the more relaxed and focused they can be going to first, the better. So you can even ride to the alleyway one-handed, rub their butt with your other hand, tell them easy, good job, and then you can go to two hands once you get in the alleyway and line up with third and, and you know, pick your arc and then walk, trot, lope, go, or walk, lope, go, however works best for your horse. The next question is about kiditis with speed for some youth riders we have. And absolutely, I think horses will test kids um, if the parents can get on them and tune them, that would be awesome. Um, or if you can get your youth riders in weekly lessons, that's really important. The other thing that's really important is these kids are riding these horses three or four days a week and they're riding them smart. They're not just running around like maniacs. They're, they're doing circles. They're doing um, rollbacks. They're doing stopping and backing and, and you know slow work at a walk and a jog on the barrel pattern or the pull pattern, not just running around and letting their horses, you know, get away with stuff. So um, if you have a horse that's got kiditis, sometimes finding a small trainer, uh, if it's a small horse or a large pony, um, might help tune them. Parents can sometimes get on and tune them if, if parents ride. Um, but yes, weekly lessons for kids, I think, are so important. Um, if a horse is starting to show kiditis, they may even need a tune-up with an adult. Um, but usually a coach can coach a child on what to work on if the kid is coachable and will do the work. I can always tell when my regular lessons didn't ride their horses that week or not because their horses act fresh and they don't listen as good. Mine are the same way. It's not every horse you can just pull them up, you know, once a week or once a month and they act the same. So let's see here. Next question. Hyper horses. Um, could that be from pain? Yes, absolutely. If you have a horse that's 
normally calm and all of a sudden they're really hyper just doing anything like they want to rush and get everything over with whether that's loping a circle or going through the pattern or going in the alleyway even on the trail if all of a sudden your horse who's normally chill is starting to get on the muscle you have to say hey that happened with my gray mare she had hurt her hindquarters up high and um she never came back from it very well and she would get that way she'd swish her tail she'd get on the muscle and um and it was hard to pinpoint what it was but she would tell you that she wasn't right by you know doing those things um so it can be in the stifles it can be in the si the hips any of those things it could be from a tear in a tendon or ligament and you may have to ultrasound them do x-rays you may even have to do a bone scan if it's really up high and too thick and deep for an ultrasound machine so you could try resting them and see if that helps you could try ulcers um, listen to your farrier if your farrier says hey i can't pick up the horse's hind legs anymore without a struggle that's could be pain as well um, it could be stomach ulcers stress all of the above so certainly if all of a sudden your calm horse starts acting hyper definitely uh, seek a vet and get some uh, ideas of what might be going on with them. It could be just need some body work chiropractically, but it could be something way more serious like a tendon or ligament um, and, and arthritis, joint issues. Um, like when my hips started hurting, you know, a, a horse isn't going to understand why is my hip arthritis so bad? They're just going to rush and want to get it over with. Um, and some won't limp and show it to you as easy as others. So, all right, next question. Uh, what is the most important part of horsemanship? Um, for me, I believe it's uh, just basically a horse language, um, being calm and confident uh, as a leader with your horse. Timing and feels a huge part of it, um, that pressure and release. Um, meeting them where they're at is really important treating every horse as an individual is extremely important um, fixing any holes um, in your horse's foundation is really important um, because small holes become gigantic holes as you go faster or go further in their performance um, you know I think that you know we have to think of horsemanship as like when you're asking a horse to go forward you ask ask take you know you kind of start off easy and increase pressure um, making the right thing easy the wrong thing difficult those are all things that really play a part in horsemanship I do think you need to be a lifelong student including myself of the horse uh, I've worked with thousands and I'm constantly um, finding each horse to be an individual and they will teach you what works best for them it's kind of like if you're thinking of desensitizing a horse with clippers or something like that you wouldn't just take the clippers to the horse you'd turn them on five feet ten feet away from at the end of the lead rope and wait until that horse starts to calm down and get a little closer and a little closer and it might take an hour a week a month it depends on the individual um, they go from being scared to being curious to being calm and you just have to think like a horse really basically that's what horsemanship is um, you know maybe like a horse rushing off of a horse trailer you put one foot on and one foot out you know and then two feet on two feet out three feet in three feet out don't load the entire horse and let them bolt out just keep going in and out in the back of the trailer maybe the last hole just one or two feet on time getting in and out on your cue not on theirs and taking their time with it um, just like a crowdy or pushy horse like rocky 
instead of fighting with him and hitting him all the time, it's easier just to move his feet, disengage his hindquarters, make him go left and right, forward or backing. Backing is so important. If you have a rude or disrespectful horse, back him all the time. Um, yield the front end, yield the back end, um, you know, like rollback cues and things like that. So um, speaking of rollback cues, that's the last question that I'm going to get into the topic. Um, they asked how to do a rollback. I do have some videos on rollbacks um, I, I can send to you, but also I will do another video breaking it down some more. But think of it as elevating your horse, like you're almost like you're going to take a step back. And because you and a horse need to both be fluid, make sure that you're using, like let's say I want to roll back to the left. I'm gonna to look to the left, I'm gonna sit with my body back, I'm gonna use give and take pressure from my direct rein and my neck rein, but my hands only move about an inch, and I'm gonna use my right leg from my leg, my knee all the way to my foot, my whole calf pressure by the front cinch. As I look to the left, I'm gonna be more on my left hip, sitting back, and I'm gonna use a slight direct rein, a slight neck rein, and lots of right leg by the front cinch. And as my horse front feet cross over, each other and the back feet barely move I will release that pressure and ask again so it's almost like an up and back light pressure from hands body and leg but it's bump release bump release bump release and you don't have to do a full 180 you can take one step at a time you know do a 45 90 you know that kind of thing you don't have to go into a reigning horse spin right off the bat when you're teaching it so but um, watch the videos and I hope that explains it uh, better and then um, biomechanics, let's get into that. So um, first parts, we talked about eyes. Part one and two, we talked about eyes and body. Part um, three and four, we talked about hands and legs the last two weeks. But now we're gonna talk about part five for the riding a balanced horse. What should it feel like? Um, a horse should be light and responsive. A horse, um, you should be able to uh, have control of their face, their shoulder, their rib cage, and their hip. Once you have control of those five body parts, the head, the neck, the shoulder, the ribs, and the hip, you will be able to connect to their brain and also be able to place their feet where you want. And that's um, really a balanced horse when you can extend or collect a horse and have speed control. If you do not have a horse that is light, soft, and responsive to mainly eyes, body, and light hand and leg backing it up and when i say body i mean shoulders hips seat um you know those are compliments when someone says you have a good seat or soft hands um that means you're riding mainly with your eyes and body and your hands and legs and voice just back that up so extended we have those five rider cues remember eyes voice body hands and legs but the main part is the eyes and the body and then you're going to back it up with with your voice, hands, and legs, and hands being the lightest and always give and take cues. So once that horse can do everything that's not overly stiff or overly bent, not dropping the shoulder or swinging the butt, um, those are all extremely important things. So that's why this month's challenge of big and small circles, I want you to pay attention. How do you soften your horse when they feel stiff? A little inside pinky and calf? How do you keep your horse from over bending their head and neck and swinging their butt or floating a shoulder? Um, then that the way that you would do that is not get too much face. If you just get face, you're going to float a shoulder and, and swing a butt. So you want to just get a little eye and nose and it has to be give and take cues, not pulling or holding that rein. 
Um, some horses do better with weight in your outside stirrup. Um, some do better if you just sit back in the middle of them a little bit more. Um, it, it depends when you're doing a circle, big or small. Um, you know, especially when we snap out of a barrel, we're a little bit more on our inside hip. Pay attention to those things. But a balanced horse needs a balanced rider. And um, emotions are a big part of being a balanced horse. If a horse is too hot, they're going to have tension and anxiety in their body. And a lot of times it's caused by a rider with too much tension and anxiety. But we also, we want to exhale. Anytime we can, we want that horse to exhale. We want to exhale. But we also don't want a horse that's too dead or lazy either. So an example of having a horse that can really be balanced is can they do a proper rollback? Can they back up light and correct eight to 10 steps? Can they side pass front and back feet evenly? Um, do they anticipate in a way that they ignore you or just anticipate in the way that they're waiting for you to say when? Um, do they drop their shoulders? Can they counter bend? A, a horse that's in pain will also not be balanced. So remember all of these things, they're super important. So just to go back and talk about it a little bit more in detail, um, when you're looking at a horse that's balanced, let's say on the barrel pattern, when you're going to the barrels, their front and back feet should be aligned. They should not be um, going in with their butt swinging or going in front heavy. Um, they, they really should be a nice balance to your horse in the sense that you feel um, them as you're approaching the barrel shorten their stride and shift their weight to their hindquarters and then and they're square your hands are even their shoulders and hips are even your shoulders and hips are even everybody matches each other they mirror each other that's why I talk about only looking a quarter turn ahead in a circle or a, a barrel turn so when you do get your leg to the barrel spot one, that's a really good place to use a little bit of uh, pressure with your inside hand and leg just to soften and get a little eye or nose coming in and shoulder and ribs soften to the outside. That automatic softness, lateral softness, puts that hip and pivot foot under. A horse that is dropping their shoulder is going to swing their butt. A horse that is keeping their shoulders balanced and, and ribs soft at where it has a little bit more of a, uh, their feet are still on the same tracks, but they have a little bit of softness to their rib and shoulder. That is, that little bit of bend is automatically, if the shoulder and ribs are soft to the outside, it's going to put the hip and pivot under. Now, I don't mean floating it by any means. I don't mean getting so much nose and neck that they swing their butt. Having control of the shoulder where you can just slightly push it to the side out just slightly soften the shoulder and ribs to the outside of your circle or return automatically puts that hip and pivot foot in but if you can't shorten your stride this is why i have you do so much post trot sit jog transitions or trot walk or low trot because if you can't transition to a shorter stride and collected you're not going to be balanced a horse that can't go from a fast canter to a slow canter think about a reining horse they do fast big circles and slow small circles. They do flying lead changes. And they do it all with very subtle leg and hip cues. You very, very rarely see their hands move. It's mainly from hips and legs. And when you watch that done, it's done beautifully, but that's a balanced horse. And barrel horses need to have that balance because 
we're different than a roping horse. A roping horse goes straight and curves off to the left. A barrel horse has to be able to turn not just one way, but both ways. So they need to be ambidextrous and have good left and right circles. There is a reason why people will have them be a lefty or righty because they feel like, you know, they have two better left turns or two better right turns, or they're more confident one way or the other, those kind of things. But you still need to try to make them ambidextrous both directions because it's such a competitive event. You cannot have a weak spot in one side or the other. So a horse that can go from a big to a small circle and not break to a trot or lose their hindquarters um, is really important. That's why spirals, going large, medium, small, medium, large, or D pattern, big D, little D, or inline barrels, straight line, circle, straight line, circle, straight line, circle, or big circle, small circle, like this month, or figure eights. All of those are important because it teaches them to travel straight lines and then soften their bodies for circles, or it teaches them to go big circles and small circles with a cadence of fluidity that allows them to extend their stride and collect their stride. So that's another reason why I have you do two-handed and one-handed riding. If you're going to ride your horse one-handed around a barrel in competition, or some of you want to ride one-handed through the whole pattern, your horse needs to be able to be balanced one-handed. Some horses, um, as soon as you go to the horn, they turn. So that's something I work on a lot in my dry work and my drills is riding two hands and one hand because you don't want every time you drop your hand, your horse to go, oh, turn. You want them to understand that one-handed or two-handed, as long as you haven't changed your body or hand position, they're still supposed to stay where they're supposed to stay um, and work off your body and legs, not just because you're one-handed versus two-handed. So that's why the dry work this month is two-hand big circle, one-hand little circle, and it uses all the cues you do in competition. A go cue for the big one where they're more extended, a rate cue where they shorten their stride for the small one, but it still has that fluidity where they're not um, breaking pattern, I mean, breaking gait where they go from a lope to a trot or whatever. Um, and you don't want them to rush in and stall out either. It's easy in, easy around, and then hurry up a little leaving. So all these things super matter. And those of you that are spending time doing this during the week, I'm seeing the results on the weekends. And those of you that are not, and you're just running and you're not doing this kind of stuff, it's not gonna get you to that next level that you wanna get to. So that's what I wanted to talk about with a balanced horse. Again, I'm gonna leave it there. Um, remember to go to the members only uh, website. There's 200 videos there. Um, you can also search the group. There's every topic on dry work and drills um, and study them. They're, you know, they're all short little videos um, because it's impossible to download 20 minute videos. It takes an hour and I don't have an hour. So I make three or four minute videos that only take, you know, 15 minutes to load. Um, if you want to see a certain video, you can't find it, let me know. I'm happy to make new videos. My goal is to make some more videos every single month. And there is a section at the members only uh, website at the very top, right after the list of the 12 topics. There are December videos, January videos. I list the most recent videos there. And then they're also applied to that topic that they fall under of those 12 topics. So, um, so anyways, 
I want to thank you guys for listening 30 minutes of your week. Listen to it on your way to work. Listen to it while you do laundry or dishes or clean the barn. But please listen because my program is not just the video reviews. Um, It's not just the challenges. It's the entire, it's holistically everything put together. It's 30 year program that I've developed that's been successful for my own horses and also all my client horses. So everybody from starting out beginners up to the 1D pro or super show, you know, world 1D people. So it's been successful for, for many and I'm proud of it and I want you to understand all of it, not just pieces of it because that's one thing I will say about going to a clinic. You only get a piece of someone's program or a lesson. It's only a piece and that's why I like being able to have everything offered the uh, lessons, the clinic, the online coaching, because I feel like it's full circle. The only thing I don't do anymore, which I kind of feel sad for my clients in that aspect, the training aspect, um, but you know, my body can't do that forever. So I did it for 25 years. (laughs) That was enough. So now I want to train you by coaching you how to do it yourself, or I can also try to help you find good trainers that can help you as well. But, but you want to find a trainer who rides in a way that you will be comfortable riding behind. Um, if a ride, if a trainer rides kind of crazy and, and that's how they compete, you're not going to be able to ride behind them. So if they, you know, maybe they lean or ride super aggressive into the turns or, you know, whatever things that they do that are different, they're going to be hard for you to follow. Also looking at the equipment they use on their horses. Are they using tie downs and wire hackamores and, and all that? Not saying that there's anything wrong with any of those things, but is that something you want to ride behind? You know, would you rather be in a horse that can run the barrels in an O-ring or a side pole uh, versus, you know, the heaviest bridle you can purchase? So... So anyways, um, those are all things to consider when you're looking at your trainers. Are they cult starters? Are they confidence builders? Do they buck them out and scare them? Do they push them too fast too soon and only the good ones make it and the rest don't? Um, Those are all really important things when you're looking at trainers. And, um, And some people are amazing competitors and trainers, but they can't teach. So you may still need a coach who can teach you, um, even if you do find a good trainer, because again, some people are just not good at communicating that. So, so it's very complex and, um, I do sometimes miss training, but when I try to do more, my body just doesn't want to do anymore. So I'm happy just riding my own horses now. And, um, I, (laughs) so anyways, I'm going to end there, but I want you guys to always remember 2024 is all about positivity. Be positive. So my three P's that used to be pee, pray, and puke before competition are now peace, pray, and positivity. We used to joke about that, I don't know, 10 10 years ago, maybe longer, and we changed it. So we used to joke, did you pee, pray, and puke? And and, um, you know, that was just so graphic, right? So we decided to change the three P's to peace, pray, and positivity. So keep the three P's in mind as you go forward with your week. And God bless everybody and ride with heart.